Good morning. Hi, everybody. I'm going to uh, get us kicked off, okay? Well, I'm going to do this because I can, and she's going to laugh at me and roll her eyes. But it's such a treat to have Heather with us this morning. <laughs> um, for those of you who don't know who Heather is, Heather and Dusty Cornelius uh, pastor a church called Identity Church in Alabaster. But they started um, with us. Yeah. When the church started, um, I forgot how old our church was, three or four years ago, they started with Dad and Selena. They were part of the first ministry teams that came in, and they all co-pastored together. And then uh, about, what, May of last year, they, they, their whole goal and heart was to move back to where their family is and in the town they came up in and, and to kind of launch a church there. And um, we got to kind of see them uh, and help them be a part of that and launch their church and their church is doing awesome and I'm going to give a let you give a praise report about what's going on with your church but um we're just very excited to see how everything is growing but uh Heather came to share with us this morning and um I don't know even know what she's going to say but it's going to be awesome like everything else has been this morning just how everything has been tied together but I just wanted to introduce Heather as our friend um we're just so glad you could be back with us so thanks for coming Amen. Well, I'm excited to be here with you today. It's so great to see people that I know again and new faces. And I got to meet some of you this morning. Um, as Aldra said, I'm Heather Cornelius. My husband, Dusty, and I, we pastor Identity Church in Alabaster, Alabama. And our church is really new. We, we're about 14 months old. We were here at North Campus until May of 2020. And um, we came actually to North Campus because when the Lord directed us to, or he put it on our hearts to begin pastoring, we needed a place to step out and start doing that. And we had been in music ministry for decades and youth ministry. And then the Lord said, you need to start pastoring. Well, we really didn't have a place to do that. And so the Lord helped us make connections with the Life of Faith Church in Irondale and Pastor Mark helped open an opportunity with Pastor Brad and Selena for us to come with them as we planted Life of Faith North. And literally the first services for the first month of this church's existence, they were in my living room at our house. We were living in Gardendale at the time. And it was awesome. And so then I, it's been such a blessing to see the church grow and move around as they outgrew spaces. And then to see you here in this facility is such a blessing to me. So uh, the good news that I have to share with you today about Identity Church, we, are, we started, like I said, in July of 2020, and we've been in our living room of our house in Alabaster, and it's been kind of, it's been a lot of fun when you have people in the living room and people in the dining room you're trying to talk to, and people in the kitchen you're trying to talk to, and anyway, it's been lots of fun, but we have outgrown that space, and we have been believing God for a location, and we signed a lease Friday on a building, so hallelujah, Identity Church has a building. And we hope to be in there in the next month or so. And it is beyond what we could um, have ever asked. God is so good. And so I thank you for those of you that have been believing with us and uh, standing with us, knowing that God was going to provide because he always does. So today, um, I'm going to talk to you about some things that you've probably heard a lot of them before. But I just it just was in my heart that this is what I was going to share today. And we're going to talk about belief today. And I think that a lot of things that Audra said kind of lined up with what we're going to talk about today. And by the way, praise and worship was awesome. And I sang the goodness of God in my car as I drove from Alabaster to here. So I was like, yes, we're all hearing from the Lord today. So, but today's message is called believe it or not. Believe it or not. Okay. 
You know, belief is the core of Christianity. You had to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ so you could be saved. The word believe is used in the New King James Version of the New Testament over 147 times. In the King James Version of the New Testament, the word believe or faith is used over 500 times. So that's an indication to us that that's important for us. But so many people, they got born again, but they don't really know what they got when they got born again. The only thing they believe about their salvation is that they got a ticket to heaven and that their past sins have been forgiven. But that's all they know. And do you know that what you believe is what will produce fruit in your life? What you believe is what's going to produce in your life. And if all you believe about your salvation experience is that it bought you a ticket to heaven, that's all it's ever going to produce in your life. And you're going to have to live in today just like the rest of the world while you hang on for dear life until you go to the sweet by and by. But there is so much more to it. What you believe about our Heavenly Father what you believe about His Word, and what you believe was provided for you in the finished work of Jesus Christ is important. I'm going to present to you today seven things that a New Testament believer has the right to believe. And there are more. There are many more. But I picked like seven that I think are top things that a New Testament believer should believe. And we're going to back these up with Scripture And as I talk about these today, I'd like for you to make sure you're being sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And when I mention one, if you get that tap, tap, tapping on the inside from the Holy Spirit going, hey, do you really believe that? Or maybe when I say it, you kind of go, because it's a little scary. That's an indication to you, not for you to feel shame or condemnation. That's an indication that God loves you so much. He's trying to make sure you get everything he's provided for you. Number one that we're going to talk about today. It's foundational. You're going to say, Heather, I've heard that my whole life. But if you don't get it, you're missing out. God loves you. God loves you. Unconditionally, he loves you. You have to know that and you have to believe that. And there's a lot of Christians who have been told their whole life in Sunday school, in children's church, and the songs they sing, that God loves them. And if you ask them, yes, God loves me. Yet there's something that causes us to feel like His love fluctuates. And when I come to church faithfully, and I give tithes and offerings, and I sing praise and worship, and I read my Bible, then He loves me really good today. But if I laid home and slipped in today and didn't make it to church and... I didn't put anything in the offering and I haven't read my Bible like I should. He prompted me to do something and I didn't do it. Then I kind of have that feeling of he loves me, but he's kind of disappointed in me. I don't know. And we have this idea that God's love is like a roller coaster that goes up and down and up and down. When love is his very nature, that's who he is. He is love. The Bible says... In 1 John 4, 16. 1 John 4 is one of my favorite books of the Bible. Favorite chapters in that book. It says, 1 John 4, 16. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. I'm going to say that first part again. 
And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. Sometimes we know something in our logic, in our soulical realm. Your soul is your mind, your will, your emotions, your personality, your logical thinking side. And you can know that you're loved by God in your brain, but your heart doesn't know. Your heart doesn't truly believe that you're loved. See, your heart is your belief system. In the, in the Word of God, when it talks about your heart, unless it's talking about the physical heart where it's, you know, like somebody got stabbed in the heart. We're talking about the obvious physical heart. But when it's talking about the metaphorical heart, it's talking about your belief system. It's the very core root of what you believe. And so we can claim out of our head knowledge, oh, I believe God loves me. But at the heart level, do you truly believe? Do you know or do you believe? that God loves you and that it doesn't ever change and that it's always the same, that it's not a fluctuation. Do you believe that God loves you? See, I can speak from the experience with this. I don't want to take too long, but I grew up knowing God loved me, but I don't think I really believed that he loved me. See, an evidence of that is what comes out of your mouth at first response. And so when you do something and you're like, oh, gee, I'm sorry, God. And you just feel this guilt and condemnation and shame. And you're just forever groveling before him, feeling like you've just got to get right with him. You're questioning his love for you. His love doesn't change. And so that's why it says we can come boldly to the throne room of grace. You notice we hide when we do something wrong. It's because we're afraid. But that perfect love will cast out that fear when I know well, goodness, I've messed up. Lord, I've messed up. Hallelujah. Thank you for your grace. And then I go on my way. See, you can't give away what you don't have, so you can't minister to somebody else if you don't know you're loved. You've got to know and believe that you're loved. And so I came to a place in my life when God began to minister that to me. And I've shared this with some of you before, but I actually, I'm not telling you to do this. I'm telling you this is what God told me to do. I literally on a daily basis looked myself eyeball to eyeball in a mirror and said, Heather, God loves you. And the first few times I did it, it was weird. And it was awkward. I'm just being real. It was awkward. And I wanted to look away. I didn't want to look myself eye to eye because I didn't really believe it. And I'd grown up in church and I was born again. But I didn't believe that he loved me and that he was always proud of me. And do you know that when I believed that, when I began to slowly let that soak in, it freed me to do everything he had called and created me to do. Because I no longer had to go, well, I can't step out and pastor, Lord, because I, what if I mess it up? Well, he's like, I still love you. My love didn't change. I can't get it wrong. I can't mess it up so bad he stops loving me. I just keep going and I keep doing because he loves me. God, the Bible says God first loved us. You know why he had to do it first? Because you couldn't love him back if he didn't love you first. Because you can't give away what you don't have. So I ask you today, do you believe that God loves you? In the soil of your heart and your belief system, has that been sown and planted and producing fruit in your life? If you're having a hard time loving somebody, that's another indication that you need to go back and let God love on you. Because when He really saturates you in love, 
it just oozes out of you and you can't help. And you might have to make a choice to love somebody because love is a choice. But it's so much easier when I know I'm loved than when I'm trying to do something out of my own self. So number one, that a New Testament believer should believe is that they are loved by God. And if you, let me just say this, we will never in our human mind fully comprehend, I don't think, how much we're loved. So whatever revelation we each have today, let's just ask God for more. Let's just go home and say, hey, you know what, God? This week, show me again more and more how much you love me. Amen. Number two, that a New Testament believer should believe, you are righteous. You are righteous. Do you know that you are as righteous as Jesus is? And it's funny that I'm saying that because I remember the first time my husband preached it from the pulpit and he believed it and I wasn't quite there yet. And I was sitting in the front row and he said it and I wanted to slide out of my chair and underneath it and I thought, it's blasphemy. How dare a human being claim to be as righteous as Jesus. These people are going to throw us out of this church. They're going to throw things. We're going to be in trouble. I was convinced. And I remember when he, when we were driving home that day, I was like, babe, you know, I know that's true and I believe that. I said I believed it. I said, and I believe that, babe, but you probably shouldn't preach that. I don't think everybody's ready for that. You know what I really meant? I wasn't ready and I didn't believe it. And he was so wonderful and loving and he was like, I don't remember exactly what he said. I was so caught up in just the... The fact that he had the audacity to say it. But you know what? He loved me and God loved me and I just let God love on me. And that revelation, which is just your aha moment, slowly began to develop in me. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, For he made him, this is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Romans 10.10 For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. What about that scripture, Heather, that says that my righteousness is as filthy rags? Well, yours is. So is mine. But you know what? That's talking about self-righteousness. That's when I go around and try to make myself righteous because I went to church and because I prayed and because I did this and that and that and because and because. And it's about me trying to earn something. I'm righteousness because that's my very identity. That is who I am. When I got born again, Jesus came to live on the inside of me and that is now who I am. In my born again spirit, I am as righteous as Jesus. And God's not up there trying to go, Jesus, get in front of Heather because I can't look at her till you're standing there. I used to think that. That's kind of was my view of righteousness is that Jesus was righteous and I wasn't. So Jesus had to come over and shield me all the time to keep God from looking at the unrighteous version I really was. No, Jesus is now in me. I've died to Christ. Greater is He that's in me. Right? He's in me. So that's, I'm as righteous as Jesus. Does that mean I don't sin? No. My spirit's born again and I have to renew my soulical realm, my mind, to the new identity that I now have. But there's so many New Testament believers walking around thinking their righteousness is as filthy rags and that I'm just an old sinner saved by grace and I'll never be anything more. And if that's all you see, that's what's going to produce fruit in your life. 
And you will never be able to say no to some sins because you're still trying to do it in your own strength instead of letting the righteousness of God reign. You're reigning in His kingdom and His righteousness. If you look at that Scripture in Isaiah, that's verse 6, I think of chapter 64 maybe or 61. If you go back to verse 5, it says we are sinners and need a Savior. That is talking about this is why we need Jesus to go to the cross so that we don't have to live as that unrighteous person anymore. You are righteous. Don't let the enemy keep lying to you and let you live a life of guilt and shame and condemnation and constant trying to grovel before the Father and beg His forgiveness. I used to wake up every morning of my life, starting my day off, please God forgive me of my sins. And when I went to bed at night, whatever I got wrong today, God, please forgive me. Dusty said he got born again so many times he, he broke his rededicator. <laughs> he got rededicated so much. I think Andrew Walmack used to say that, but I, Dusty says it now, so I think of it as Dusty's. But he says I, he broke his rededicator because he rededicated his life to the Lord every single day because he was convinced he'd done such wrong and he wasn't righteous. You know, when I finally got that moment of, aha, I'm righteous, all the other things that have been such a struggle stopped being such a struggle. Yeah. I heard Pastor Mark Manchin at uh, Irondale campus give this testimony, and it has just stuck with me ever since. He said that when he was a young man, he and his brothers and his dad used to go dirt bike riding. Yeah. And he said that he would always ride his dirt bike, and he'd hit the ruts and the dirt and the potholes and things. And he said that his dad was like, Mark, why do you keep doing that? Stay away from him. He's like, well, Dad, I'm looking at him. I'm trying not to hit him. He's looking at them instead of looking at the, the road he wants to be on. And see, that's what we do. We look at the sin. I'm looking at this sin. I'm looking at this wrong. I'm trying real hard not to do it again. Instead of looking at Jesus and His righteousness and this is who I am. So does that mean I'm, I just, I'll never mess up again? No. But what it means is when you do, then you repent and confess and you change. Now, let's talk about what that means. Repentance is not a groveling before the Father and a begging. Yeah, it's a turn around. It's I'm going to go the other way. And confess means to say the same thing. What thing? The thing that Jesus said about you. So let's say that this morning, when I was getting ready for church, and this didn't happen, this is just an example. Let's say that Dusty and I got in an argument, and we fussed, and I said something really ugly to him. Then, on the way here, I'm going, oh God, please forgive me. No. The Holy Spirit might say, you know, that wasn't love. I go, you know what? You're right. And I'm love because Jesus is love and He's in me. So I'm love. So that wasn't me. I'm not. I'm turning from that. And do I need to go to Dusty and ask for forgiveness from him and tell him I'm sorry? Yes. So it doesn't mean we don't do wrong, but it, the view of it changes, if that makes sense. It's no longer a, I now sit the rest of the day going, I'm such a horrible wife, I'm such a horrible person, I'm such a sinner, and allow the enemy to convince me of lies. Instead, I just go... That's not me. I'm not doing that again. I'm turning and I'm walking in my righteousness. And then the rest of the day, I'm going to meditate on the love and the goodness of God that's on the inside of me and declare that it comes out of me, that my thoughts and my actions are love, that I change the atmosphere when I walk into a room because I'm so overwhelmed with the love and the goodness of God. A New Testament believer has the right to believe that they're righteous. Do you believe that today? Or did this kind of rub you the wrong way? Or are you like me, you wanted to slide under the chair or throw something at me when I said that you were as righteous as Jesus? We've got to believe that. So number one, believe that you're loved unconditionally. 
Number two, believe that you are righteous because Jesus is righteous and he's in you. Number three, do you believe that you hear God's voice? There's a lot of believers that think that God doesn't speak to them. Maybe they aren't holy enough for him to speak to them. Or maybe because they're not a super duper. They don't stand on a platform with thousands of people. Therefore, God has no need to speak to them. A super duper. You don't have to be a super duper. John, the book of John, chapter 10, verse 27. John 10, 27 says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. It doesn't say my sheep try to hear my voice. My sheep sometimes hear my voice. It just says in a declarative sentence, my sheep hear my voice. Are you a sheep? If you're born again, you are. Believe that you hear his voice. And I think sometimes we have this idea that it is a booming voice coming from the clouds or thunder and lightning is going to happen or everything's going to stop and you're going to hear it and you're going to hear the whisper. God speaks to you all the time. And it, it comes in different ways for different people. So I don't want to like nail this one way down, but a lot of people say it's just a knowing. They just know this is... And the Bible says to be led by peace. A lot of times I think that peace is that knowing leading you to make the decision according to peace. For me, a lot of times it's thoughts. And those thoughts come in the voice of Heather. You know what I'm talking about? That voice in your head that's in your own voice, you know? Like if you did it, you're like, well, I shouldn't have done that. You thought that... I get thoughts like that, spirit-led thoughts, the voice of God speaking to me. When I very, very first realized I was actually hearing the voice of God, it would take me a long time to realize it was the Lord speaking to me. And it might be months of having the same, the same train of thought. When my husband got called into ministry and we felt the Lord leading him to go to Bible college, he actually was supposed to go the year before he went. But it was because... We couldn't get ourselves all lined up and truly believe that we had been called to do that. But I had heard the Lord saying that, that thought of Dusty needs to go to Bible college. Dusty needs to go to Bible school. Dusty needs to go to Bible school. I heard that for a long time before I had the, oh, is that the Lord? <laughs> now let me give you a little backstory on that. My husband is a brilliant man. Don't tell him I said that. But anyway, <laughs> he is a, a person who loves to learn. And he had been in college in some form or fashion since the day we got married. We got married when I was 19 and he was 20. And from the day we got married, he had always been in some kind of college. He loves to learn, okay? So he went and got an associate's degree. And then he went and got a bachelor's degree. And he's doing this while we're married and he's working full-time. And then slowly kids came along. You know, so it's not like he was going full-time. It was a slow progress. And so after he got his bachelor's degree, then he goes to and gets his master's degree. So at this point, we have children, we're very involved in ministry and, and doing all different kinds of things, and it's been a very busy, more than a decade of marriage. And he said something about a doctorate. I said, don't you dare. <laughs> I said, we have done enough. You are smart enough. We're good. And so because I said that, when the Lord said he should go to Bible school, he was like, she won't let me. <laughs> and the let, I think that's why the Lord kept speaking to me is because I was supposed to go, do you know you were supposed to go to Bible school? When I finally said it, he goes, oh, good. <laughs> I told the Lord that I wasn't going to tell you. 
And the Lord had told him, but I, and he had told me, but we'd not talk to each other. So anyway, the Lord does speak to you. You know, now when the Lord speaks, I hear it so much faster because I believe that he does. And so now when something happens and it gets more frequent, I'll stop and I'll go, I'm listening. If this is something I need to, to do, if this is you, Lord, show me a little louder. And then it'll pop out of the Word of God as I'm reading. It's like somebody highlighted my scripture or something. Or somebody will walk up to me and say something and it's like, ching. And it'll check that box and I'm like, okay, yep, that's the Lord. So believe that you hear the voice of God. And He's ordering your steps. And you know what? Sometimes He's going to tell you that He loves you. And that you're righteous. And that you can do this. That He's never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. That you don't have to be afraid. Whatever the Word says, He's going to say that to you. And sometimes He speaks through His Word. Sometimes He speaks through people that talk to you. Sometimes it's just that still small voice. I hear a lot from God when I'm laying down to go to sleep at night. As I'm going to sleep, these little thoughts start floating. Some people, they hear the voice of God when they're driving down the road because sometimes that's the time when you can listen the most and there's nobody in the car with you. And I used to think, well, I can't hear from God because I've got so many children in the back seat talking and singing (laughs) or because I'm busy. God can still talk to you even though you've got children singing at the top of their lungs in your back seat. If you're washing dishes or doing laundry or whatever it is, God will speak to you. Believe that. Expect that. Tell the Lord, I'm listening. I'm ready today. What have you got for me? New Testament believer, you are loved by God. You are righteous and you do hear the voice of God. What about the next one? I'm going to combine two for the sake of time. Healing and provision. Those belong to the New Testament believer. Do you believe in healing? Do you believe in God's provision for you? Sometimes people have wrong teaching that they've got to dig out about some of these things. Maybe when I say, do you believe in healing? You go, I don't know. I'm afraid to. Because what if it doesn't work? It's promised in the Word of God. Isaiah 53, 5 and 1 Peter 2, 24, they're the same scripture talking about healing. In Isaiah 53, 5, it's talking about what's going to happen at the cross. And when it says it in 1 Peter 2, 24, by His stripes, you were healed. It's looking back at the cross that's already been done. In Isaiah, it says you are healed. In 1 Peter, it says you were healed. So when did healing actually happen? At the cross. So when did you get healed? When you believed. When you believed in Jesus, everything that He is came to live on the inside of you. And that includes health. You are health. We've got to renew our mind to get that solical realm renewed to what God has promised. And I want to say this. It's not just physical. It can be emotional and mental healing as well. I think in today's society, there are so many people who are mentally exhausted. They're afraid and they're tired of being afraid. They're afraid of making the wrong decision. They're afraid of getting sick. They're afraid of all kinds of things. They're afraid of what's going on in our government and out in the world today. They're afraid of the hell that Satan has tried to bring. 
but we don't have to be afraid. And we can walk in health, including mental health. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. Our peace, he paid for our mental health and our physical health. Romans chapter 15, verse 13. Romans 15, 13 says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Healing belongs to the New Testament believer, physically and mentally. By his stripes you were healed. 3 John 2 says, Beloved, I wish above all things that you would prosper and be in health, even as your soul, your mind, will, and emotions prosper. There's a whole world full of people on antidepressants. And I'm not bringing any shame or condemnation if you are. But just know, we were not created to have to have that. God's original plan was for us to walk in health and peace mentally and physically. And if you want freedom from some kind of physical or mental sickness, go see what you have the right to believe as a believer in the Word of God. Seek those scriptures out. Renew your mind and be transformed. And there are some people who they have hands laid on them and they have an instantaneous healing. And then there are other people who, as they begin to recognize what the truth of God's word says and their identity of health begins to take place and they believe it, all of a sudden they realize, wait a minute, I don't do that anymore. I don't need that anymore. That, it's gone. And I've had both experiences. I've had things in my life that miraculously were healed and I've had things in my life that had been going on a long time, but as my identity of my belief of who I was in Christ changed, all of a sudden I looked back and realized I wasn't sick in a way I used to be or wasn't dealing with something I used to deal with. But if we don't believe that, then it can't produce that in our lives. And if you've got wrong thinking about that or as I speak today, that tapping on the insides, and you really don't believe that, that's just your indication that you can now go, okay, Father, show me how to believe it. Point it out in your word. Talk to people that believe it and find out where can I study this? What should I know about this? Same thing with provision. He said he would supply your need according to his riches in glory. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8 says, And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, so that you, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. Provision is not money. It can be, but provision means that I have all sufficiency in all things. I have enough of everything that I can take care of whatever needs to be taken care of for myself and for other people. If they need money, I can help. If they need wisdom, I can help. If they need encouragement, I can help. I have an abundance of all things because that is what I, as a New Testament believer, have the right to believe that God always provides for me. You know, I grew up being taught the truths of God, God's Word, and I um, had a wonderful pastor and wonderful parents who taught me that God always provides for us. But some things in my life and some of the ways that I personally thought, as Dusty and I went through our marriage, I developed a, what I'm going to call a poverty mentality, a mentality of lack. The, the thought that there was always going to be a little bit of a need and it was never going to quite be enough. And that we were just going to always make it from one paycheck to the next. And when Dusty was in Bible school, 
on Saturdays, they would have special guests sometimes come in, and that was open to the public. And so one Saturday, I went with him, and Pastor Greg Moore was there from Karis, uh, Colorado. And he was talking about financial prosperity. And when he said that, a little bit of pride popped out, and I was like, well, I know all the scriptures about prosperity. I say them all the time. And I just kind of had this unteachable attitude of, I know everything. And so he taught. I don't remember what he taught. And at the end of it, he prayed. And he said, I want you to ask the Lord to reveal new things about provision to you. And so I did. And you know what the Holy Spirit said on the inside of me? You have a poverty mentality. And do you know what Heather did? Oh, uh-uh. <laughs> I do not. I can quote every scripture on prosperity there is. Which one do you want to hear first, Lord? <laughs> but you know what? Thankfully, I had enough wisdom to go, okay, show me. And it wasn't an, a moment. It didn't happen in an instantaneous download. But over the next weeks and months, I would do something, say something, or think something. And the Holy Spirit would go, that's an example. I'm just going to give you one. There were tons of them, but just one. And I may have shared this with some of you before. It was around between Thanksgiving and Christmas, you know, when you have all these parties and get-togethers and things. And I had made my grocery list, and I'm still kind of old school, so it was on paper. And I had written down, and usually my grocery list was the front side of a notebook page. Well, this time, because of all the parties and holiday, it was the front side and wrapped around to half of the back side. And I had it in my hand, and I was walking into the grocery store, and as I looked at that paper, and then I flipped it over and looked at the back, this knot formed in the pit of my stomach. And I thought, oh, this is going to be so expensive, and I'm going to go over my grocery budget. And the Holy Spirit very gently said, that is an example of a poverty mentality that there's not going to be enough. Because I wasn't buying extravagant, ridiculous things. It was things that we needed and were going to be used. And I was like, okay. He said, I've got this. I will always provide for you. And so little things like that, I would hear the voice of God. And there were some practical things he told me to do. There were some um, books that he told me, don't read that anymore. There was a Facebook page, I'm not going to name it, but there was a Facebook page and it was about saving money. And every day they put out things that you could do to save money. There's nothing wrong with that. But for me, that was feeding that fear of not enough. So for me, I had to say, I need to stop following that page. Talking about hearing the voice of God, God will speak to you about things that you need to turn off, stop watching, stop reading, stop listening to. And tell you things to turn on. And you know what? Some of the things he says to turn off aren't bad. But you may be at a place in your life that you don't need to hear that. Right, I used to love, t- I don't know if you, TLC, I think it was the Learning Channel. Back in the, back in the day, I used to love things like, there were shows called The Wedding Story. And then there was The Baby Story. And it was following these people through their planning. It's so girly, y'all. Uh, through their wedding planning and following these women through their pregnancies. Well, when I got pregnant with Kaylee, I sat down one day and started watching Baby Story. Well, because television loves drama, most of the baby stories they showed were people that had complications during pregnancies and deliveries. And I sat down to watch it one day, and the Holy Spirit said, turn it off. I was like, but I like this show. <laughs> and I know, I just, 
terrible of me to even argue with the board. But I was like, but I like this show. And Lord was like, I didn't get anything else. Okay. But you know what? I know why. I did not need thoughts to be planted about complications I didn't even know existed until I watched that show so that then as a pregnant woman I could freak out about it. Practical, ordinary things that the Father will tell you about anything. They're for a reason. And He's good. And He loves you. He is our healer. He is our provider. And if that's not a revelation that you truly believe, go to His Word and find out about it. Lord, help me. Help me to believe this. Help my unbelief. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Believe what He has for you. Believe and you shall receive. Amen. What is it? Andrew Womack says, believe and receive or doubt and do without. (laughs) Okay. Two more really quickly. Baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's for New Testament believers. The baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues is for New Testament believers. And there's a lot of churches afraid to talk about it because it's strange. Our human mind goes, huh? Some people don't believe because they've been taught it's been done away with. Some people have been taught that it's just too strange. It's there, it's real, and it is powerful. You will be endued with power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Acts chapter 2, verse 4. Acts 2, 4 says, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Some people got baptized in the Holy Ghost a long time ago, but they've quit using their prayer language and it's kind of rusty. Dig that out. I got baptized in the Holy Ghost at eight years old. And I think it is awesome when children get baptized in the Holy Ghost. Because what happens is you get that experience before your adult brain starts going, that's just weird. I don't want to be one of those flakos. I was a kid. I grew up in a Pentecostal church and I got baptized. I saw people were praying in tongues. I thought, well, I want that. So I just marched my happy self right down to the front on a Wednesday night and said, I want it. And I got it. And I've been praying in the Holy Ghost ever since. And when I don't know what to pray, Or when I'm afraid, I'm like, Lord, I'm afraid to say anything else because what's coming out doesn't sound like faith. I'm just going to pray in the Holy Ghost. I'm just going to pray in the Holy Ghost. I'm going to pray His perfect will about this situation. And a lot of times, and this is something else I had to come to believe. When I don't know what to pray, I'll pray in the Holy Ghost for a little bit. And then I begin to know what to pray in English. And I used to not believe that. I used to think, well, you just pray in the Holy Ghost and then you just walk away. And I mean, that's good. But then somebody planted the idea, the seed from the word, that you can actually know what you're praying. And then I began to go, oh, when all this stuff was going on in Afghanistan, I was like, Lord, I don't even know how to pray. And I was so burdened with it. And I was spending time praying in the Holy Ghost about it. And I had dropped Caleb off at school and I was driving back home and I was just praying in tongues. And then all of a sudden, one thought after another started coming about what I should pray. And I just began to pray it out. The Lord will do that for you. But you know what? It didn't happen when I didn't believe that could happen. 
it began to happen when I believed that I could do that and that the Lord would do that for me, that he speaks to me. I remember when I was a teenager, I went for an interview for a scholarship. And it was for a group of pastors. It was a ministry association that was giving away a scholarship. And when I went for the scholarship, they interviewed me and asked me things I don't remember very much, but I just remember talking. And when it was over, one of them said, I have never heard a teenager speak with boldness and confidence and know as much of the Word of God as you do. And I was like, oh, great. Thanks. And I walked away and I told my parents, and you know what they said? You're baptized in the Holy Ghost. There is a difference, y'all. There can be people who are wonderful ministers of the gospel, but there is power behind the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And if you don't believe that, or maybe you believe it, but you haven't received it, or you don't really understand much about it, go back to the Word of God. Say, Father, I believe. I'm choosing to believe. This is for me. And I believe I receive. My mother-in-law got baptized in the Holy Ghost a few months back on a Wednesday night at our church. She grew up Baptist. And she had heard about it, but nobody really taught her very much about it. And so as Dusty began to teach on it, she one Wednesday night, she's like, I want that. So it was so awesome and precious to see and watch Dusty lay hands on his own mom to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And y'all, she is a fireball. <laughs> it is awesome. She's always, let me tell you what the Lord said this morning when I was praying in the Holy Ghost. And I just thought, hallelujah. And she's like, how come I didn't know about this before? If you can believe, all things are possible to him who believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit is for the New Testament believer. The seventh one, that you have a calling. You have a calling. We're all called to the ministry of reconciliation, to reconcile people to Christ, to God. But you have something God has called you to do. And it may be big and flashy and everybody sees it, or it may be small, but it's no less important. But sometimes people walk around thinking, I don't know if God called me. Surely he didn't. You know, that goes back to believing that you're loved, right? Because if you don't really believe you're loved, then why, how can you believe that God would call you to something? I stand here talking to you today as a person who for a long time didn't believe I could have ever done so. I was a worship leader. Let me sing to people. It's not quiet. I just sing, right? And sometimes they'll sing along. But you tell me to talk to people? When I first heard that, I was like, Lord, I cannot. And when God called us to pastor, I thought, you know what I'll do? I'll just be that southern pastor's wife who plans all the church potlucks and keeps the nursery. <laughs> That's what I'm going to do. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with that. But Dusty and I are one flesh. And so when God called him, he also called me. And I knew that. And it was so real. And I, I don't have any fear that anything's going to happen to Dusty, but this is the way the Lord put it. This is so real that if something happened to him, you're still called. I was like, because, you know, he didn't want me to think that this was Dusty's deal. And I was just the tag along. And when he was finished, okay, we're done. I'm as called as he is. And I had to say, I believe that. 
The Bible says that the callings of God are irrevocable. That's in the New King James. That is Romans eleven twenty nine. For the gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. The King James Version says they're without repentance. I spent a lot of years thinking you could never repent if you didn't do it. That's not what that means. That means God doesn't change his mind about it. He's called you for the rest of your life. You are called to do that. Whether you ever step into it or not, you're called to do that. And you know, going back to the love of God, I couldn't say yes until I knew that even if I didn't, God loved me anyway. And when I realized he loves me anyway, and when I realized I can't mess this up so badly that he's going to stop loving me, he always loves me. Okay, I can do this. And I chose to believe. And then I had to step out. And there were some people that had to listen to me as I stood up and spoke very poorly. And mostly I boohooed. My mom nicknamed herself the town crier because every time she tried to sing a solo at church, my mom just sobbed through it. I inherited that. And for a long time, I had a very hard time ministering because I just cried. So if I ever like lay hands on you or pray for you for anything and I'm going, Father, in Jesus' name, you're like, I don't know what she just prayed. It's okay. It'll be okay. The longer I have walked in the calling, the easier that's gotten. So calling doesn't mean I stepped over into that and I was perfect. And I did it flawlessly. That means I had to step into it in a terrified way, possibly, and do it very poorly. But God was going, yes! And then He, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it empowers me to do it. And I just keep doing it and doing it and doing it. You have a calling. And I think most people know what it is. Some, some people don't, but a lot of people, I think they know what it is and you're just afraid to step into it. Step into it. Believe that you have that calling. The last few things before I close. What if you don't believe? You say, Heather, you've said these things that New Testament believers are supposed to believe, but what if I don't? Well, let me give you a definition of belief. And I got this from Arthur Menchez, um, <clears throat> who is taught at Karasum. He's, I think, in South Africa. But Arthur Menchez defines unbelief as anything you believe that is inconsistent or not in agreement with the truth. So anything that is inconsistent or not in agreement with the truth. What's the truth? My word is truth. Isn't that what God said? So you can say, Heather, I don't believe that. You may not believe that, but you do believe something. So what do we do if we don't believe? Well, you need to find out what's causing you not to believe. Sometimes it's just a lack of knowledge. Nobody taught you something. If you grew up in a church that did not teach you about the baptism of the Holy Spirit with evidence, with evidence of speaking in other tongues, you may not believe that. So how do you fix it? Well, you go to the Word of God and you begin to study that. Talk to your pastors and say, hey, tell me about this. Let them direct you to books to read about it that have been written by people that are good, reputable people to speak on that. And get knowledge and information so your heart can begin to believe so then you can step out in faith and receive it. So maybe it's just you need information on it. Maybe you got wrong teaching about it. Maybe you grew up in a church that told you that's been done away with. Or God doesn't heal everybody. It's not for everybody. 
There are no instances in the New Testament where Jesus told somebody, nope, not going to heal you. Go to the Word of God. See what it says. Renew your mind. See, your heart, your belief system, it's like soil, and you're planting the Word of God in it so you can believe, and that belief can produce fruit in your life. But if you've got rocks in there of unbelief or weeds that need to be pulled, the Holy Spirit can help you do that. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 27, 1 John 2, 27, But the anointing which you have received from Him abides in you, and you do not need anyone teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you will abide in Him. The anointing will teach you. And I don't think this means when it says that you don't need a person to teach you, anyone to teach you. I don't think that means, well, I don't need to go to church. Nobody needs to teach me. No, I think that means that you don't have to be completely dependent on a pastor or a speaker to teach you something. That you just sit and wait on somebody to teach you something. The Holy Spirit will teach you. And if you want to know something or you think, maybe I don't believe this. I've got some unbelief. I've got some wrong belief. I need to get this out. Not only can your pastors teach you, but you can also go to the Word of God and let the Holy Spirit teach you what you need to know. Sometimes it's literally just a change of lenses. You're looking at something through a different pair of glasses now. You might have grown up hearing it one way, and now all of a sudden the Holy Spirit helps you put on a newer pair of glasses. And you're like, oh, well now I believe that. John 14.26. John 14.26. But the Helper... The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Maybe you used to believe something, but you walked away from it and nobody said anything to you about it. And so you think you believe that, but you know when the rubber meets the road, maybe you really don't. I've known people who I went to church with for years and they said they believed the same things I did. I believe in healing. Hallelujah. But when a diagnosis of some, some kind came along, the first thing they did was receive that information and put that label right on their head. And then they went to see what medical help there was. And then as their last resort, they went to the Word of God. I don't think they believe what they think they believe. This is one of those moments when we have the Holy Spirit go... I think you have head knowledge. You need some heart knowledge. Believe here. Let the Holy Spirit teach you. Maybe you're afraid. Afraid to believe something. You, don't, you didn't grow up in a Pentecostal church, so the baptism of the Holy Spirit's kind of weird, and you're kind of afraid of it. I saw a meme the other day. Maybe you've seen it, and it was the Star Trek, original Star Trek people, and it was Mr. Spock, and he's standing over there kind of weird. And the rest of them are acting all crazy. And it was like a person who's never been to a Pentecostal church. Dr. Spock's looking around and everybody else is, Woo! Okay. If you're afraid, that's okay. 1 John chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. 1 John 4, 18 and 19. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves torment. Torment's awful. It's a horrible thing to lay down at night afraid or to wake up in the morning and the fear face you. 
Perfect love goes back to knowing your love. It will cast out that fear. And so if you don't know about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and say, Lord, I, I don't really know about it and it makes me kind of uncomfortable. I'm a little bit afraid. So I'm just going to bask in your love. Holy Spirit, teach me. Help me to understand. Help me to believe. Amen. Mark chapter 5, verse 36. This is um, the story of Jairus and his, daughter, his young child was sick and he asked Jesus to come and pray. And Jesus was on the way to the child, but there was a multitude. And this is in the midst of this, the woman with the issue of blood receives her healing. And, and so as they're on the way, somebody comes and tells Jairus, never mind, tell him not to come. The child's already dead. And Jesus heard that. And it says in Mark chapter 5, verse 36, as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, which is Jairus, do not be afraid, only believe. Even when the circumstance and the situation looks scary, even when it makes you uncomfortable and you're out of your comfort zone, I don't have to be afraid because I'm a believer. God's good. He loves me. Therefore, everything He has for me is good. And when He puts a calling on my life, I don't have to be afraid because I know it's for my good. When He shows me that healing and provision and the baptism of the Holy Spirit are there for me, I don't have to be afraid because He's good. He's always, always, always good. And He loves me. He's taking care of me in every way. Maybe there's some hardness of heart. Mark chapter 8 is Jesus is talking to his disciples and he tells them to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And they have been with him and seen him multiply loaves and fishes more than once. They've seen water turn into wine. They've seen people be healed. They've seen demons cast out. But when he says that about the loaves and the about the leaven of the Pharisees, they start looking at each other and going, is he afraid because we didn't bring the bread? Really? You're worried about you didn't bring the bread? And it says in Mark 8, 17 and 18, Jesus being aware of it said to them, Why do you reason because you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive nor understand? Is your heart still hardened? Wow. Having eyes do you not see and ears do you not hear? And do you not remember? Sometimes we grew up around things or we saw things that were miraculous, but we tried to make it use that logical side and, and chalk it up to modern medicine or science or I don't need the baptism of the Holy Spirit anymore because it's just too weird and I've moved on to more mature things. I act like a normal human being. It'll make your heart hard. What's your heart? That's your belief system. That's where you plant stuff. And when you have rationalized something to the point that it has no power in your life and you can't get the seed in. So what do you do? Lord, help my heart to believe. Help my unbelief. Ask the Lord for help. I'm going to close with this. Mark chapter 9, verse 23 and 24. Jesus said, If you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. And then it says, Immediately the father of the child cried out with tears, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Maybe you do believe as much as you can, but I got news for you. There's probably some unbelief in there somewhere about something. 
And so here's what we do. We just go before the Father. We come through that come to that throne room of grace with boldness and say, Father, I believe with everything that I can. Help my unbelief. Show me where I don't believe. Help me to dig out the wrong teachings and the lies of the enemy that I have believed and dig those out so that I can plant the truth and it can produce in my life. I'm choosing to believe. You know, when when we were believing God for a building for Identity Church, we had looked at multiple storefronts. We're talking 1,400 square feet, 1,200 square feet. And we'd go in and look around, you know, and my logical side said, we can afford this. And then it's like, but we're already going to be kind of squished in here. But we can afford this. And we kept looking and all the doors kept closing. And we were just like, and Dusty said, well, I'm not going to shove a door open. I'm just going to let the Holy Spirit lead us. And the Lord dropped a word down in Dusty's heart and said, you need to think bigger. And he told me that. And I was like, and Dusty said, I don't know how. And you know what we did? Instead of going, we got to figure this out. We just said, Lord, help our unbelief. We can't see it any bigger than it is right now. We can't see this bigger than what we know we can financially do today. Bigger than what we, the two of us, can make happen. And so there was no shame or guilt or condemnation. It was just, Lord, help. Show me how to believe more. And you know what he did? And it was fast. Audrey will testify to that. It was fast. And I'm not saying it's always going to be fast. But for in that moment, that situation, it was fast. And all of a sudden, that seems like, I see it. And when we walked into that building, it was literally waiting on us. And we walked in the door, and the first thing Dusty said is, I can see us here. you got to see with the eye of faith. Believe. Whatever it is in your life today, know you are loved. Know you are righteous. That you have a calling and a purpose. That you have the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues available to you. He is your healer. He is your provider. And you do hear His voice. And whatever you have had trouble believing, say today, Lord, help my unbelief. I'm going to close this in prayer. If you'll bow your heads. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Father, for the gift of your Son, Jesus. And Jesus, we thank you for what you provided in your finished work at the cross. And we declare today that we receive everything that is available to us as a New Testament believer. And I speak in the name of Jesus to any fear, doubt, anxiety, or unbelief. And I command it to go in the name of Jesus. And I say today, help our unbelief, Father. Open our eyes to the truth of your word and all that you have promised. Lead and guide us as we read your word and seek your face. And lead right people and right teachings across our path so that we may walk out that abundant life that you have provided for us. That it's not just for us, it's for us in such abundance we can pour it out on others. We love you. We praise you and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.